Thanks to NetSuite by Oracle for supporting this episode of Industry Focus. NetSuite is the business management software that handles every aspect of your business in an easy-to-use cloud platform. Get the free guide, Crushing the Five Barriers to Growth, at netsuite.com slash fool. That's netsuite.com slash fool. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. It's Monday, October 15th. I'm your host, Jason Moser. And on today's show, we're going to talk about subprime mortgages. We're going to give Matt Franklin an opportunity to preview the Money 2020 show. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about earnings season, because, hey, that's that's gotten started now. We've got banks all over the place here. Uh, so, hey, as always, joining me today is certified financial planner Matt Frankel. Uh, Matt, thanks for, uh, thanks for joining us this week. I know you've got a Busy couple of weeks here coming up with uh, earnings season starting and travel, but uh, I, uh, I appreciate you being able to whittle out the time here for us today. Of course, I I love this time of year, earnings conferences and all kinds of fun stuff and football. So <laughs> yeah, football. Well, yeah, I don't I don't know that I really want to uh, dig too terribly much into this past weekend because it kind of <laughs> sucked for both of us. Uh, Carolina gave up a, a close one there and. Man, Wofford just got just got hammered by Furman. And Matt, the worst part about that is that my wife went to Furman, and so Ooh. we've got this never ending back and forth in the house. I mean, you know, at least with football season, it's just one game and that's it. I need to get the basketball season here. Maybe we can uh, erase this loss, but it's going to be a tough year here because she's going to be talking this one up for a, for a while to come. But, you know, hey, she deserves it. Firm really showed up, played a great game. Congratulations, Paladins. Wofford will get him next week. All right, here. Uh, let's talk about earnings first and foremost, though, Matt. Big week here with JP Morgan, Citigroup, Wells Fargo, Bank of America earnings just came out this morning. Uh, a lot of common themes out here we've talked about in these shows leading up to this week. Uh, strong uh, net interest margin growth, it looks like. Credit quality is is looking, uh, looking good. Tax reform is playing out, I think, on these bottom lines uh, as as we expected. Uh, but but give me uh, give me your sort of fifty thousand foot view here. What do you think about these big four, and and what uh, what do we need to take note of? Well, I mean, for starters, banks are one of the more predictable sectors, so you generally don't seem to see too many surprises when it comes to earnings. It's, for example, generally easy to analyze a bank's deposit base, how much interest they're getting on their loans, and you know, kind of make a good guess of where their earnings are going to fall. Having said that, um, the general word I could use is good. I mean, everything's looking very good. Um, tax reforms boosted earnings. Uh, three of the four banks beat earnings expectations. Um, profitability is, you know, getting higher. Um, loans and deposits are growing in most of the banks, with the exception of Wells Fargo. Deposits are up 4% across the board. Loans are up nicely. Uh, banks are getting more efficient because of technological advances in the industry. Um, we've been talking nonstop the past few episodes about the war on cash, and the big banks are also a beneficiary of that. Uh, Zelle is their big app that's saving them some money on things like deposit costs and 
things like that. So, um, let me ask you a real quick question here before we sure. go on here, because it's one thing we talked about here in the uh, is, is is tax legislation, tax reform has certainly helped a lot of these businesses and banks are no exception there. But how much of this profitability do you think is due to share repurchases? Is is it is it contributing? Is it, is it material? Is it something we need to keep an eye on? Uh, where do share repurchases fall in these big banks' uh, earnings reports this this quarter? Well, it's definitely playing a pretty big role, but. It's kind of the the equalizer is just looking at the revenue figures. Revenues up, you know, one percent to four percent generally across these big banks. So that kind of puts in perspective how much of the growth is due to share repurchases and how much is due to actual growth in the business. So like numbers like loan growth and deposit growth don't really have much to do with repurchases. But when you see that earnings are up, you know, forty three percent year over year in Bank of America's case. A lot of that is tax reform and share repurchases, absolutely. So it's important to kind of give yourself a rundown of all the numbers, not just look at the headlines to see where the growth is coming from. Because you're right, share repurchases is a, a big part of it, especially in Wells Fargo's case. They had a kind of record-breaking share repurchase this, this quarter. Yeah, that's good advice. It's important to note we're not just picking on banks. I mean, share repurchases are just that's the flavor of the quarter here. I mean, I think a lot of these companies are really benefiting from that, and that's okay. I mean, uh, maybe maybe you could make that argument that it's not trickling down to Main Street as as some might like, but I, I would I would counter that by saying if you if you are invested, then you are feeling that, and and that's a good thing. So uh, it's a good excuse if if uh, nothing else to just get invested, right? You need to be uh, you need to be playing the game in order to be able to win. Uh, now we were talking before taping about Wells Fargo, and we felt like you felt like this is the bank that uh, deserves a little bit of extra attention this quarter. It. Uh, it, it was what surprised you the most this earnings season so far here. Tell us a little bit about what surprised you um, and, and how the bank is benefiting from that. Well, it was the first quarter where I haven't thought Wells Fargo didn't have a, a terrible earnings report in some time. <laughs> um, it's not so much that they did great. It's just that it wasn't terrible. Um, for, for just kind of the, the bad thing is that Wells Fargo isn't growing. They're the only bank that didn't grow their loans and deposits significantly. And the reason for that is because the Federal Reserve won't let them grow right now until they substantially improve their business practices. But having said that, there have been some encouraging signs pretty much all around the business. Um, they originated 10% more car loans than they did a year ago. Uh, small business loans are up 28%. Home equity loans, 16%. Personal loans were up as well. So they're, while they can't grow their assets past where they were at the end of 2017 yet, they are showing some promising signs of growth. They returned to a more reasonable level of profitability, a 12% return on equity, 1.27% return on assets, which is a substantial improvement from last quarter. Efficiency also improved from last quarter. And as I mentioned, they had they repurchased almost $7 billion of stock. Almost 3% of the entire outstanding shares were repurchased in this quarter alone to take advantage of their their depressed valuation. So, all in all, I would say that Wells Fargo was the surprise of earnings season so far because it, it's a little early to say that they're turning a corner until the Fed lifts their penalty. But it's definitely you know the kind of numbers that investors want to see. Well, there's nothing wrong with that, and and yeah, whether they're actually turning a corner or not. I mean, Wells Fargo just plays such a big part in our economy, as as its status as uh, as as homelander is is just uh, so 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 crucial. 
Um, it, so it's it's hard to imagine. Uh, Poor business practices aside, it's hard to imagine our economy without Wells Fargo. I mean, we've been very critical of some of the mistakes that they've made, but but perhaps uh, fresh leadership here will be able to get this bank back on on uh, on the right path. Here, it sounds like they are possibly uh, making that turn there. Uh, now, if we look at at the way these four banks have performed year to date, it's not been the most stellar year for these big banks thus far. I mean, uh, not not when you not when you compare compare them what, uh, to to what the greater market is is uh, chalked up thus far. But knowing what we know now, seeing these reports and looking at the roles these banks play, where is your money uh, going? If if you have to look at these four banks, what's the one bank you feel like investors really need to have their eye on here? Not only for the remainder of the year, but really for the next three to five years as we invest here. What's what's the one bank that really stands out to you? Well, I've said it before that Bank of America is my favorite among the big four. I I own it. I have for some time, and if the recent dip in the share price persists, I might buy a little bit more. Um, I like Bank of America just. I think they have fantastic leadership. They're, they've improved so much since the financial crisis. And just all around, their numbers look great. Um, they're one of the more, they're growing their brokerage at a 20% annual rate, just to name one thing. They're doing great at embracing technology. I think they said they're investing $3 billion a year just in technology, which is more than any of the others. And when it comes to the interest rates, rising rates, Bank of America, it's interesting to note, has one, has the highest proportion out of the big four of zero interest deposits, meaning that they don't have to pay interest. So as the interest rates they can charge on loans gets higher, they don't have to pay any more for those deposits. So that gives them a big advantage over the rest of them if we start to see long-term interest rates continue to rise as they have been over the past few weeks. Yeah, banking one of those industries truly where scale does uh, does does present a big a big advantage. That's an interesting number. You that uh, three billion, I think he's three billion dollars in, invested in technology, which is fascinating. You know what? I've seen a lot of these commercials here over the last few weeks. I guess uh, in regard to their voice activated software, uh, the the is similar to something like Amazon's Echo, but I mean Bank of America has it. They call they call their voice uh, uh, platform Erica. Have you have you seen that? I have. It's uh, it comes from the you know the end of their name, Bank of America. Yeah, I kind of <laughs> figured that. <laughs> silly, silly name. But... Not just a hat rack up here, Matt. <laughs> no, I know that. But it's a silly name, but it's you know it it, it just kind of goes. To, they they win awards for their mobile platform. They've have the best online banking functionality. They win awards for that year after year now, and they're doing great in increasing the amount of customers who are using you know mobile deposits and things like that faster than their competition which over time is going to be a big cost advantage and I think it's why you've seen their efficiency ratio get better much faster than the others well that's good stuff I'll be interested to see how that uh, takes hold I don't know that I've necessarily given voice uh, voice uh, recognition software stuff like that uh, as much of a weight perhaps in finance I've never really Felt like I wanted to talk to Alexa, for example, to get like a, a balance or transfer funds. I always feel like there's going to be some glitch where I say uh, transfer one hundred dollars, and she accidentally transfers a thousand, and then something happens. And, you know, we got to clean up a mess. But hey, I mean, maybe yeah. Plus, who wants the... to hear their balances and account numbers out loud and things like that? It does seem a little bit odd. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> but I guess, hey, you've got those wireless headphones now. So, people walking around with those things, maybe that's where it really comes into play. Um, hey, let's take a look here real quick. Before we get on to another topic, I wanted to follow up our, our discussion on banks here with just this article I was reading last week. And, and you and I kind of did a double take. We both saw this. Uh, this this thousands line up for zero down payment subprime mortgages. And, and I thought, when I read this initially, wait, this has got to be referring to something that happened in the past that's not going to happen again. But but sure as shooting, I mean, this is this is a situation where borrowers are now getting the opportunity to line up to to get basically a zero down payment mortgage for a house. And you know, I mean, on the one hand, I I love the fact that we have an economy that can give people a chance like this. But on the other hand, I mean, it these are not these are not borrowers with Really good credit scores, and so with no skin in the game and in in a bad credit score to begin with, especially in an environment where apparently the FICO score is as high as it's ever been for most. I I I I don't know that this is really a good idea. What do you think about this? Well, from both an investor's perspective and a financial planner's perspective, I always say that there are three things that you need to have an ideal mortgage candidate. You need proof that you can pay it back, you know, good income, stable employment, things like that. You need a strong credit history and you need a down payment. You need to have skin in the game. Now, in the past, I've said that if you're missing one of those, it's not terribly troubling. For example, if you have low credit, but you're putting 20% down and you have a great job, it could certainly make sense to give you the loan. When you're missing more than one of those things, like in the mortgages that are starting to pop up now, no down payment and no strong credit history. That's when I start to worry a little bit. Um, during the financial crisis, we saw people who got mortgages without having all three. Um, and those aren't coming back just yet. But this is definitely not a step in the direction I want to see. It is it is worth mentioning that these are primary residence-only homes. These are not investment mortgages. So that's also a big distinction of what we saw leading up to the financial crisis. But even so, it's borrowers lacking two of the three major components that you should have when you get a mortgage. And that's kind of you know, troubling to me. Yeah, and I should say too, I mean, it does it does appear that the the financial institution that's backing this up, I mean, there is an education component here that that is required. And I applaud that. I think that's good. I, I'm just I'm not quite Sold on the idea, but but perhaps this is just a perhaps this is a small test. They look at this as something that, that might be uh, worth worth expanding in the future. They'll they'll uh, use use some of the data and the learnings from from this, and uh, that'll that'll help dictate perhaps what they do in the future. Uh, just just a bit of a uh, just a bit of an eye catcher, uh, one way or the other. I guess we'll we'll learn more here in the, in the coming coming years as to whether it works out or not. Um, okay, hey, listen, you know, Matt. Last week we were talking about these these companies that we love so much: this War on Cash, Basket, Square, and PayPal, and Mastercard, and Visa. And and you know, I, I said, hey, let's put out a poll and and see what people think about. It. Do we want to you know go ahead and introduce a weekly segment, a regular weekly segment, talking about these four companies, just catching people up on any newsworthy items? And Matt, eighty four percent. Of the voters in this poll, the people have spoken. Eighty-four percent said yes. 
you need to introduce a regular weekly segment talking about the war on cash. I don't know, man. Eighty-four percent—that's just—it was terrific turnout. I mean, some of them are close to three hundred votes or something like that. So you know, that's enough. I mean, it's, is that statistically significant? I don't know, but I mean, hey, it made me feel pretty good. So we're gonna go ahead and we're gonna introduce a regular weekly segment on the war on cash. We're going to talk about the the companies that make up the war on cash basket and any newsworthy items that uh, may have popped up. And there were a few. And really, let's go ahead and just let's hit the biggest item. I think that you and I both both will agree this is the biggest item. Uh, Square uh, is losing its its really its most public face to the company. I think uh, in in CFO Sarah Fryer. Granted, Jack Dorsey is the CEO, but. Splitting time with Twitter, Sarah Fryer is the one we see out there all the time talking up Square's book, and she's done a great job at it. She is going to be taking off. She is actually going to accept a CEO position at a company called Nextdoor, which is a social networking company that focuses more on neighborhoods. So, while we are happy for Sarah and congratulations certainly on the the CEO job. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and tell you this is a good thing for Square. I mean, she really has been just a tremendous leader for the company. But uh, what 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 do you think about this, Matt? I mean, I think she's been an absolute rock star for the company. But this, at the same time, the stock is down about thirty percent over the past couple of weeks. Is any one person does any one person make a company worth thirty percent less virtually overnight? No. <laughs> so. I'm not going to say this is a non-event like the like Jack Dorsey stock sale the other week or the um, the Square installments the re- the negative reaction to that those were both kind of non-events from a long-term perspective. This is an event, but for one, I have no reason to believe Jack Dorsey won't put the right person in the CFO role to replace her. And I mean, he's done a, hiring has been one of his strengths in the past. I think we can agree. Yeah. So. Does does losing her make the stock worth thirty percent less overnight? Absolutely not. Um, hopefully, one of these days I'll be able to shut up about it square for more than a day or two, so I can add to my position. It hasn't happened in quite a while, um, so I, I view this as a buying opportunity. Um, like I said, I'm sad to see Sarah Fryer go. She's the one who really is pushing the monetization, the long term monetization of their banking services to consumers, uh, like Square Cash that we've been talking about. But at the same time, I think Square will be just fine over the long run, even without Sarah Fryer. Yeah, I tend to agree. You never want to see a company that uh, where everything hinges on one person. I mean, you want to probably avoid investing in those types of businesses. I don't think Square is that type of business. And uh, given given Jack Dorsey's role, I think you're right. He's made hiring a priority of his because he's not really the day to day. Uh, operations guy over at Square. I mean, he's he's really making sure uh, that he, that he's hiring people that can that can keep him abreast of what's going on and they can execute uh, not only execute strategy but really help dictate strategy. And so I have every reason to believe that he uh, he and his team there will fill that role with someone who is very capable of keeping the company on the path that it's on. I mean, that's a nice thing is I think they're really on a great path right now. They've got a lot uh, of of strategy laid out there and what they want to do. Um, and, and so I don't think this is something where you're bringing someone in to to change something. I think you're really bringing someone in there to kind of keep things going in the same direction they're going. So uh who knows when they'll get somebody in there. I have to believe it's a pretty attractive job. Um but we will see. Uh, in PayPal news, there are a couple things that came up here with PayPal. One that I saw that it's just it's an interesting perspective for me from from the 
looking at the the population of folks out there who perhaps don't have a banking relationship is that PayPal will let customers deposit and withdraw cash now at Walmart stores. Now, that, of course, comes with a fee, and uh, it's not a cheap one either, $3. But, but I think, again, it's just something that PayPal is doing in order to be able to offer something for everyone out there who's looking uh, for a way to access their money one way or the other, whether they have a banking relationship or not. The other uh, item that came out that I thought was, was a little bit more newsworthy, and it's because it's in regard to Venmo, which is their popular uh, Money transferring app that that I think we see a lot of of younger folks using. I think it's a very popular with the millennial generation. Uh, Venmo they are going to start charging Venmo account holders when they make those instant money transfers on the platform. And I, I think it was interesting just from the point that when the news first came out uh, on on social media, uh, Twitter specifically, you saw people kind of jump the gun there and think, oh, this is insane. You know, Venmo now is just all right. We'll delete Venmo. I'm not going to use Venmo. Anymore, and they, I think they were a little bit unclear as to even what this really actually meant, because I think a lot of people out there thought this meant that Venmo was going to be charging uh, their account holders for just all money transfers. But to be very clear, this is for those instant transfers, right? Yeah, it's just for the instant transfers. But when I saw this news, my first reaction was maybe it's a little too soon, um, and just a lot of the reactions I was reading on Twitter said things to the effect that there are so many free ways for people to send money nowadays that maybe Venmo jumped the gun on trying to monetize its service and is doing it in the wrong way. Um, this is just the instant transfers, but that's what millennials want. Yeah. And millennials are very anti-fee. Um, I mean, I'm, I am i don't know if you, I don't think Jason's a millennial. I'm not. <laughs> no way. I, I think I missed the cutoff by about, I, I missed the cutoff by a few months, um, depending on who you ask. But that millennials want free and they want quick. And the, most of the millennials I know that use Venmo use it because it's free and want their transfers done instantaneously. I think the fee was like a quarter for an instant transfer. It was, it was it, there was a fee, but it was very cheap. Um, so now if you're transferring, you know, $200, that's a $2 fee. That's not nothing. So my, like I said, my gut reaction was that it might be a little too soon. And that they should focus on growth instead of monetization at this point. Yeah, it's very possible. I mean, I think they've they've noted more than once that they they aren't really making a lot of money from from them. It's not a part of the it's not a profitable part of the business thus far. But I, they they definitely see it as something that should be um, material to, to the PayPal model years years down the line. And and instant transfers are one way. Um, I mean, they they obviously have the, uh, the the Venmo Visa card, which is another way, and so it'll be interesting to see how they manage this. Um, I mean, it's worth noting too, though. I mean, there is a risk that any financial institution takes on when they make the that that uh, transfer available immediately, right? And so, uh, ideally, uh, you'd like to see them be able to uh, use the data. Uh, to make those types of decisions and perhaps do it in a fee-friendly way. Um, but I guess time will tell here. We'll see how management sort of figures their way around that one. Uh, but but certainly something to keep in mind. Something else to keep in mind, Matt, is that support for industry focus comes from NetSuite by Oracle, the business management software that handles every aspect of your business in an easy-to-use cloud platform. 
Every company battles challenges as they grow. Updating manual processes, replacing inefficient systems, getting a handle on cash flow. As you scale, you'll need software that can handle that growth. So save time and money by managing sales, finance, accounting, orders, and HR instantly right from your desk or even your phone. Get the free guide, Crushing the Five Barriers to Growth, at netsuite.com slash fool. That's netsuite.com slash fool. Okay, Matt, let's take a real uh, a real quick look here. Next week, you are going to be going out to Lost Vegas. Lost, lost Wages is what I was thinking of, the nickname for Las Vegas. Uh, you're going to be going to Las Vegas. Let's hope there's not Lost Wages involved. But you're going to be going out there for the Money 2020 show. And that's 2020, like 2020 vision, so don't get confused. It's 2018. Uh, but, but hey, give us an idea of what you've been to this conference before. You're headed back here uh, this year. It's an exciting time. You get to you get to have some some interviews out there and stuff. Tell us a little bit about what you what you have planned. Yeah, I've been to the conference four out of the past five years, and the best way I can describe it is a Woodstock for fintech. <laughs> All right, um, it's about over ten thousand people. It's at the Venetian in Las Vegas. Um, pretty much every fintech company is well represented there. I know I'm meeting with a, a few of the CEOs that we talk about. I'm not going to name any names just yet. Um, there's always some big announcements that are made at the conference. Uh, FICO just uh, just recently sent an email blast to all the attendees, kind of teasing that they have a big announcement. Um, last year, they announced that Uber Uber was putting out a Visa card, uh, was the one I covered last year. Um, and there's always just some really interesting people to meet and things going on. And you can learn the latest fintech trends before anyone else um cryptocurrencies are of course a big part of it and i've gotten probably about 500 emails from the cryptocurrency companies that are going to be there wow so that's that's always a fun part of it <laughs> some are some are great to talk to some are kind of strange um and there's always some celebrity celebrity guests there uh, richard branson's giving the keynote this year um, Shaquille O'Neal is going to be there, who I've always wanted to meet, not for not for investing reasons, but I've always been a big fan. So. Well, we'll we'll hope for the best there, uh, and and we'll wait and see what you bring back to us. Uh, let's tap into Twitter here real quick for the week. Uh, I, I did mention earlier the the poll that we uh, put up there, and, and appreciate everybody voting for that. That really was fun to see that uh, we had such a strong. Uh, Support for a weekly segment on the war on cash. So we'll keep that up. And Mabel at Teach Me to Invest, and Mabel actually was an intern one year here at The Fool, but she responded. She said, I'm loving the podcast. Whatever the decision is, I'll be listening. Mabel, thank you so much. Those are really nice words. And uh, just another interesting one I got this morning from my friend uh, Rory Karen in Ireland. He's at Rory Karen in, in Ireland. He works with Rubicoin. Um, he he posted a tweet pointing me to an article from the Economist uh, that was talking about how millennials are now the largest group of pet owners in America, and increasingly pets uh, feature in their owners' budgets. And, and you know, hey, listen, from a financials perspective, this matters, right? Because if you're talking about your household budget and what you're doing with the money you're making. Uh, that's well. That's what we're talking about here, and pets are a big deal. And as a as an owner of four, uh, three dogs, uh, I, I I certainly get it. Um, I mean, you know, you'll kind of go in there and do whatever you want for them. And and I think 
golly, we could probably put together a basket of stock ideas that just center around pets and the market opportunity there. But uh, just just was an interesting one to consider there. And, and uh, hey, there's big opportunity out there in the, in the pet market there. Uh, okay, hey Matt, we're gonna wrap it up here real quick with one to watch. Earnings season in full tilt here now, and so there's gonna be plenty to choose from. Uh, what is your one to watch for this coming week? I am keeping my eye on Synchrony Financial. Uh, they are one of the big issues of store credit cards, and they are an online bank. Uh, they report earnings on Friday, and there's a couple of things I'm watching for. Number one, they lost their. They announced recently that they lost their partnership with Walmart, which is a big deal. This is like when American Express lost its Costco partnership. This is the big thing in the business. So I'm interested to see how they plan to rebound from that. They say they said at the time of the announcement that they'll be able to replace all that lost revenue within a couple of years. So I want to know how. Um, they're a credit card business, so they are going to be a big beneficiary of rising interest rates. Um, and because the big banks kind of surprised us with their uh, default rates dropped, uh, their credit quality is improving. So I want to see if Synchrony is, if they're doing this, if they're trending the same way, it could be a big, a big profitability boost for the company. And what's that ticker for Synchrony? Uh, SYF. Okay, good deal. Um, I'm going to be watching Ameris Bancor. A ticker is ABCB. They are a little uh, community bank based out of Moultrie, Georgia. Uh, folks who've, who've uh, followed me for any period of time know I've been following this bank for quite some time. Um, they have earnings coming out on Friday. It's it's always been really a story of growing their assets under under management and uh, growth from the financial crisis. Really was was a neat part of the story early on with a lot of those failed institutions from uh, the Great Recession. They they essentially had these FDIC aided acquisitions, which pretty much protected them from any downside while helping them grow out the the actual customer base and asset base there. And so this is a very well-run bank that has seen a little bit of a pullback here recently with the market volatility. Uh, but but still I think a lot of a lot of uh, things to like about what they're doing is still just a small cap. You know, I mean we talk about big banks. This is a two billion dollar market cap bank here. Uh, but earnings out on Friday I'd be interested to see what uh, they have to tell us. Uh, and, and also just a, just a note we have PayPal earnings coming out this week as well um, on Thursday. So we'll we'll certainly cover that on next week's show. Um, in in next week's show, Matt, we're looking forward to to everything you have to offer us from the the Money Twenty Twenty show out there in Las Vegas, and hopefully, you're not going to be telling us any stories of lost wages while while you're at it. No, actually, when I talk to you, I've just gotten there. So. Oh, beautiful. All right, <laughs> it'll be deal. too early for any of that. <laughs> All right, well, safe travels there. Looking forward to next week. All right, me too. And as always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. The show is produced by Austin Morgan. For Matt Frankel, I'm Jason Moser. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.